Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Josh. I am the pastor of young adults today. Uh, I'm as a pastor of young adults every day. And today, I, uh, we're going to talk about something I'm really excited about. It's, it's the topic that we have yet to address in our relationship series, but it's something that every single person who lives will experience at singleness. We're talking about biblical singleness this morning. We're looking at scripture where the Apostle Paul directly addresses this, this idea, biblical singleness. But I think some of the things we're going to read and talk about this morning are going to be a little controversial. Maybe uh, for married people, there's some things we might look at. You might think, I don't like that. And then some single people, I think you're going to think, hmm, I don't know about that. But my challenge for you is, hey, look at what scripture says as we look together and get a vision of what God has for biblical, this concept of biblical singleness. Okay, well, before we get started, let me open this up in prayer. Oh God, thank you so much for your kindness and love through your son, Jesus, who remained single his entire life. Thank you that he was willing to lay down uh, those rights to come and serve us as we, in the way we needed and had to be served. Father, as we look at your word, your scripture, give us uh, an open heart to uh, hear what your spirit has to say for us this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's have a few statistics from the Pew Research Center before we get started. As of 2014, 51.2% of the population, ages 16 and older, are single. This is the first time ever in the history of America that the majority of adults are single. Studies show that today's singles, ages 24 to 35, express the same amount of desire to be married. The same amount of people, ages 24 to 35, want to be married. But the likelihood of someone being married before age 34 has decreased by 12 percentage points just in the past 10 years. 13% of never married adults say they don't want to be married. The median age at first marriage is 27 for women, 29 for men. But if you follow the patterns from previous generations, roughly 25% of singles ages 25 to 34 will never be married. Go right for single people. That's not, a, that's not a happy statistic, right? Whew, man, good thing, Josh. I'm married. <laughs> Dodge the bullet. It's important to remember that singleness is not a season of life. It is seasons of life. Say you're married. You have this wonderful marriage. I see a couple out there that I actually married about a year ago. Say they live their whole life in marital bliss. Well, at some point in their life, one spouse will die and the other spouse will be single. You see, singleness, and that doesn't even include issues of of uh, early widowhood or divorce. Singleness is not a season of life you graduate from. Rather, it is seasons of life for virtually every one of us. And as we look at this topic today, we have to keep in mind that the body of Christ will be made up of more and more people who are unmarried. All right, well, uh, as we look at our uh, uh, topic today, I'm going to give you my big idea for the whole morning. The big idea is this. Christianity, 
the way of Christ is the only view of life that affirms both singleness and marriage as equal in value. That's my big idea. Well, let's hop into our scripture for today. Uh, our scripture is 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So if you have your uh, phones, go ahead and turn there. Um, we'll be hopping around and we're going to address some of those specific places in 1 Corinthians that the Apostle Paul is directly addressing singleness. All right, verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. All right, the book of 1 Corinthians is the Apostle Paul responding to a letter from this church in the city of Corinth. They wrote him a letter about all these questions they have about practical Christian living. And the Apostle Paul is writing in response to these questions. And one of the questions that they have is, is it good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman? You see, at this time, there was a philosophical fad going on called Gnosticism. Gnosticism believed that the spirit and the flesh were these totally different things. And everything about the flesh is wrong, is bad, is yucky, is dirty. Right, the spiritual things, those are good things. Fleshly things, those are dirty, yucky things. So the, the, the best among us are those that just focus on the spiritual. They don't get married. They don't gratify this dirty desire, this dirty sexual appetite. And they don't get married. They just kind of live as these like spiritual beings that deny the physical urges. But the Apostle Paul responds to this philosophical fad in verse two through seven. He says, no, 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 no. Look, it's good to be married. And it is good for married people to have frequent and enjoyable sex. He even goes far to say, look, women, you're not supposed to withhold your bodies from men. And men in marriage, you're not supposed to withhold your bodies from your, from, uh, your uh, wives. Sex should be within marriage, frequent and mutually enjoyable. You know, that's the kind of standard teaching in the Old Testament where it affirms the value of marriage and of sex within marriage. But what Paul says next in verse eight will give some of his readers a little start. Look with me, verse eight. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to be aflame with passion. Did you know that the Bible says that singleness is good? Singleness is good. It's not some waiting room. You're just waiting to, the doctor to call your name and finally get out of this place. It's not, it's not junior varsity. Singleness is not preseason for life. As a single person, you are whole, you are complete, and you are equipped for every good work. You see, too often, us in the church, and especially in our Western world, we borrow our idea of singleness from the Greek mythos, the Greek myths of the gods. You know, have you ever heard of the term soulmate? Like probably everyone here has turned, heard of that term. Well, that came from one of Plato's writings called the Symposium. 
In the symposium, a man named Aristophanes tells about how in ages gone past, humans were not male and female, they were just one human. And these humans were so uh, capable and were so entrepreneurial that they were actually trying to subvert the Greek gods like Artemis and Ares. Well, the Greek god Zeus, he had a great idea. Well, let's take these humans, rip them in half and create male and female. Each of these half humans, male and female, have half a soul and forever they will be searching for their soulmate to become one whole being. And that'll keep them occupied. (laughs) And we can be gods up here and do our thing. That's what the view of soulmate comes from. And though we would never say it in those ways, I think too often the church has that idea that if you're single, you're somehow pre-season, you're junior varsity. You need to be married in order to really live the life God has designed for you to live. Well, that's wrong because Christianity teaches that you do not need to find a soulmate to be complete. According to the Bible, you need to encounter the risen Jesus to be complete. See, it's not seeing, it's not searching for a soulmate, but it is looking and having an encounter with God. You see, single person, married person, we are complete. Our souls are whole, but they're broken without Jesus Christ. And it's Jesus Christ who actually finds us and he restores our hearts and our souls to be who God designed us to be. So according to the Bible, both singleness is good and marriage is good. See, the the, the problem we see or the problem we we come to is that in our culture, we don't see... uh, very good examples of this idea of singleness and marriage both being good. You see, in our culture, we have a traditional view of singleness and marriage, then we have a progressive view of singleness and marriage. See, the traditional view says wholeness comes through marriage and family. This view devalues singleness because we become whole when we get married. And it views kids and a house in the suburbs as the goal of life. Right? That's why every time you see great aunt Gertrude at the family reunion, what does she ask? When are you getting married? Or if you're, if you're married and with no children, when are you going to have kids? You see, the vision for life of the traditional view is marriage and kids, white picket fence. Unfortunately, I think the church tends to err in this way. I think if we're if we're gonna err in either the traditional view or the progressive view, I think we're gonna err in this way. But some of us do, we err in the progressive view. The progressive view says that the path to wholeness is through self-expression and through freedom. This value, this uh, view devalues marriage because it views in, that we become whole, we, we find self-fulfillment, self-realization, and self-expression. And marriage and family gets in the way of our self-freedom. See, we see this scene in books like Eat, Pray, Love, where this lady just says, ah, I just got to give up on my family and pursue myself and my own freedom. And then you also see it in the group of guys that every time you get together, you tell them about 
uh, you know, you're kind of getting serious with this person or that person, they say, don't get married, run, turn around, right? We see both of these views in our culture. But the thing is, the Christian view, the way of Christ is not the traditional view. It's not the progressive view, but it is the Christian view, a third way where the path to wholeness comes through surrender to Jesus Christ. Christianity is the only view of life that affirms both singleness and marriage as equal in value. That means you are complete and you can be just who God designed you to be, whether you're single or whether you're married. You can be who God designed you to be, whatever life stage you find yourself in. You see, Christianity teaches and Christ teaches that marriage, it elevates marriage because marriage is a tool God uses to make you into the image of his son. And it elevates singleness because singleness is a tool that God uses to fashion you into the image of his son. Both singleness is good and marriage is good. Well, I can hear in the back of my head uh, some of my young adults saying, okay, I hear you, but when I get married, all these anxieties about my future and what I'll do, they'll all be gone, right? All my big struggles in life will all disappear once I get married, right? And the married people, you know, a group chuckle goes along, right? Well, scripture says otherwise. Look with me at verse 32 of chapter seven. I want you to be free from anxieties, The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this not for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. See, almost all of us grew up with this Disney idea, well, this pre-frozen Disney idea that you just ride off into the sunset, right? You get married, Prince Charming, toss you on his white horse, and you ride off and then happily ever after. Well, those who get married realize <laughs> that's not the case, right? Off, most often, like, so yesterday I stood before, uh, uh, I did a wedding, uh, Asa Bartos and Suze Henslers, and they got married and they're going off and they're moving to Canada and all this stuff for work. And it's like, there you go, riding off in the sunset. Those first couple months, it's more like riding off into war, right? With your spouse or most often with yourself. You see, we have this idea that, once you get married, all our problems will go away. But anyone who's married will realize you're going to start asking these questions like, wait, you wear what to bed? <laughs> wait, who do you expect to do the laundry? <laughs> right? Wait, why is there a dish in the sink? What, what is this in here for? Right? You start to ask these questions and you realize that there's conflict within a marriage. But it's interesting, this idea that there, when you get married, you're going to have conflict It's not what the Apostle Paul is really interested in here in this passage. What he is interested in and concerned about and is warning single people is this. 
if you get married, you will have divided interests. When, ma- when married, serving the Lord becomes a lot more complicated. See, as a single person, you can be laser focused on doing the works of the Lord and building the kingdom of God. You can be in five life groups, right? You can serve on care in the square every time. You can go on every mission trip we offer, right? You can be part of every Bible study you want and still have time to hang out with your friends, go to movies, do what you want. But see, when you're married, it becomes increasingly more difficult. And then when you have children, it even becomes more difficult. Like for our, even for our li- uh, life, we have a, I'm married, I have a, a little boy and one on the way. We have to really be, uh, have a committed and really uh, grab hold tightly to our schedule in our life in order to be in worship groups and serve. Just to be in the normal necessary parts of discipleship, being in a worship environment, being in a group's environment, and being a serve environment, we really have to, to, to be careful that we don't overextend ourselves. So if you are single, you can be laser focused. When you get married, the Apostle Paul warns that your interests become divided. Well, Paul's saying this, and then in his mind, he says, well, I'm sure there are gonna be people who ask, well, if, sh- should I even get married? Because in this context, it's much different than ours, there is active persecution. Men and women who follow after God and share the gospel become imprisoned, beaten, their land is taken away, and sometimes killed for the gospel. So the question is, for these single people in the, in the city of Corinth, hey, I wanna do missions. I wanna go and plant churches where there's a hostile environment. Should I get married? Maybe some of you, you think, hey, I have a burden for unreached peoples in the Middle East, and I want to do missions work, or I have a burden to go in some of the most dangerous and uh, uh, difficult in, uh, neighborhoods in the U.S. Should I get married? Should I bring a wife or a husband and a family into that environment? Well, the Apostle Paul addresses this in verse 36. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, now, now the word here betrothed is in the Greek, it's virgin, which is just better understood in our context as unmarried person, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. So should you get married? If you, are you a single person in here? Should you get married? Well, Paul gives you these two questions. Do you want to? Number two, do you feel such strong sexual desires that it is a great distraction to your walk with God? Do you want to get married? And do you feel such strong sexual desires that it is a great distraction to your walk with God? If you answer yes to those, you should probably get married. Well, should I stay single? Two questions. First, does your heart 
want to stay single for kingdom purposes. Now, this is singleness. This is biblical singleness, singleness for kingdom purposes, right? This is not the, I like my room in the basement, living off hot pockets, eating things that end in Ito's, like I'll marry my Xbox kind of singleness. That is not it, right? My, me, my three cats and Netflix, I'm good. It is not that, Paul's not talking about that singleness here, okay? He's talking about biblical singleness. Does your heart want to stay single for kingdom purposes? And two, do you have a firm control on your sexual desires? Well, if you answer yes to both of those, you should probably stay single and devote yourselves to the kingdom, to work for the kingdom of God. But ultimately, Paul says, do whichever you want. It's your choice. Both singleness is good, both marriage is good. But he does say this in verse 38. This is the distillation of this section. He says, so then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. What does this mean? I th- Some of you are thinking, oh, so can I be single now? I'm married, right? Can I? This is not a divorce clause. If you are married, man, a lot of people were thinking that. Um, If you you are married now, complete, firm, thus saith the Lord, you are to stay in that marriage unless it's issues of abandonment or adultery. There's uh, There's no out clause. You are to stay single to the person you are married to right now. But how is it that singleness in marriage can be equal in value, but it kind of talks about you're going to do better if you stay single. Well, Jesus addresses this in a little discussed passage in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, verse 11 and 12 says this, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let one who is able to receive this, receive it. See, a eunuch is someone who, 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 for whatever reason, does not engage in sexual activity. And there are some people who don't engage in sexual activity due to physical birth defect, physical illness. And there are some who are made eunuchs who don't engage in sexual activity by force. So it was a common practice in that day for kings to take a group of prepubescent boys, castrate them, and then put them into service with the queen and the princes because they're not going to make a move on them. They can trust them. See, those are the two categories in Jesus' time, common knowledge of people who don't engage in sexual activity. But what Jesus does is he gives us a third way. And that third way are people who surrender their sexual activity because they choose to. Why? For the sake of the kingdom of heaven. That's something dramatically different than what we see today. And that's something that I think most of us, we talk about singleness and marriage, don't think about. But we know throughout church history that the people who have done the most for the kingdom of God remain single because they were the ones who went into the most difficult places and went into the most hard, dangerous places and gave their life to spreading the gospel. That's what Jesus did 
That's what the apostle Paul did. That's what you ever heard of St. Patrick? He evangelized the British Isles. That's what he did. St. Augustine, if you've ever read the confessions, he stayed single to devote himself to the works of the Lord. And countless women who devoted themselves, not to marriage and family, but to the works of the Lord. We credit much of our missionary work to people who have said, I will choose to remain single for the sake of the kingdom. Is that you? Do you feel, is that something where everyone's saying, no, you need to get married, you need to settle down? But you're thinking, I think God's calling me to something different. Well, what Jesus says is you are gonna pursue, he wants you to pursue that third way. Laying down your sexual life, laying down any possibility for sex with another person to give your life wholly and completely to the work of Christ. The problem is we just don't see good examples of this in our day. We, just, we, we can look around and see, well, who are these people that are completely devoting themselves, staying single to the work of God? And I begin to think, I, Think I know some people that, that maybe may fall into that category, but it reminded me of a story in C.S. Lewis's parable, The Great Divorce. The Great Divorce is a parable about heaven and hell, where a man is ushered along by an angel to heaven. And heaven is like the world we see here, but far more beautiful and far more majestic than we can ever imagine. And the grass is so green and so beautiful that it almost stings to walk on. And this man, ushered along by the angel, they, they, they step into the, they call it the foothills of heaven, just the outskirts. And he beholds this beautiful woman who's, who's extremely tall, who has beautiful hair, beautiful clothing. And there are many young men and young women singing and dancing around this woman, singing her praises. And the man asked the angel, is, is this Mother Mary? It's gotta be. This is where we pick up the story. Is it, is it? I whispered to my guide. Not at all, he said. It's someone you'll never have heard of. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith, and she lived at Golders Green. She seems to be, well, a person of particular importance. Aye, she is one of the great ones. Ye have heard that fame in this country and fame on earth are two quite different things. And who are all these young men and women on each side? They are her sons and daughters. She must have had a very large family, sir. Every man or boy that met her became her son, even if it was only the boy that brought the meat to her back door. And every girl that met her was her daughter. Isn't that a bit hard on their own parents? No, there are those that steal other people's children. But her motherhood was of a different kind. Those on whom it fell went back to their natural parents, loving them more. Few men looked on her without becoming, in a certain fashion, her lovers. But it was a kind of love that made them not less true, but truer to their own wives. You see, this story encapsulates the potential and the power of biblical singleness. 
You see, biblical singleness, the power, the potential, it's not a quest for self-fulfillment. It's not a quest to find your other half of your soul. Rather, biblical singleness is for people to freely lay down their life in order to serve God and serve others with their whole being. And this idea that singleness and marriage are equal in value, but singles can do more for the kingdom, it's uniquely Christian. Why? Because God Almighty took on flesh, revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ. A man who in that culture, it would have been weird not to be married by age 30. But in his love, he laid down his right to a wife and to marriage and to children. He surrendered it all in order to do the hard work of going to the cross, dying for our sins and raising to new life. You see, Jesus surrendered his power. He surrendered his place next to the father. He became humbly, humble and lowly and even sometimes lonely. Why? To serve us in our greatest need. That is the power and the potential of a man or a woman who lays down their life, takes on lifelong celibacy and devotes themselves to the work of the kingdom. You see, the goal of marriage is the same as the goal of singleness, which is the same as the goal of parenting, goal of family, goal of relationships, and the goal of all of life. The goal of the Christian life is to love God and love others. You don't have to be married to do that. See, my hope and my prayer is that our church becomes a place, becomes the environment where biblical singleness can flourish becomes a place where singles are not cloistered off as some pre-people, but are invited in to the most important and vital things we do here. Because there's no other environment within our culture where we value both marriage and singleness. The church is the hope for the world, and the church is the hope for people who devote their lives to biblical singleness. See, I know that you married people are thinking, well, did I cut God short? That same single man who was God in the flesh, who died on the cross, was buried, who rose again, is coming again to marry his bride, the church. And one day we will all be in marriage, in union with the perfect groom, who is Jesus Christ. Whether you're married, whether you're single, we all have a wedding that awaits us. Let's pray. Oh God, you are, your thoughts are so far beyond ours. We couldn't imagine what you have done through your son. Lord, thank you that he almost certainly took the ridicule of being a middle-aged single man maybe the whispers, maybe the, the jokes. But Lord, thank you that he laid it all down to go to the cross, to live a perfect life, die, raise again, so that we can have new life. Lord, I pray that we grab hold of this, this idea. And, and if we're married, we make that environment for the singles to flourish. And if we're single, we, we steal our wills, either for purity, 
moving toward marriage or for biblical singleness. Lord, help us and help us as a church to make that more of a reality. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I think um, I would be remiss uh, if I did not include some practical application. Um, and I was talking through the staff and through our interns about, hey, what, would you, what are some suggestions you would have for married people, for single people? And I got so much stuff that usually we have like one or two things, like try this. I've got 20. So what you're gonna, I'm just gonna throw it against the wall, give you 20 next steps, 20 pieces of advice, and hopefully some of this will be helpful. All right, specifically for singles. Uh, 15 pieces of advice. First, do not date a non-Christian. Don't go on a date with a non-Christian. Don't match.com message a non-Christian. Scripture tells you, you are to be with, if you're going toward marriage, you have to be with Christians. Number two, take advantage of the time you have for long periods of reading the Bible and prayer before family and kids. Like once you have, get married and have, have kids, it's gonna be much more difficult to have those like two, three hour times of prayer and of Bible study. Number three, go on mission trips. Now, go on as many mission trips as we offer, okay? D- forget about Europe and Cabo, go to Lombok and Ghana, all right? That'll be your, that'll be your vacation. And if you're a young adult, you can, in two weekends, the young adult ministry is taking a group down to the Clark Fulton neighborhood for an urban mission weekend. Join us. You can sign up online. Number four, take responsibility for your own life. That includes financial responsibility, i.e. paying your own bills, okay? Take responsibility for your own life, pay your own bills. Number five, online dating. This is just my opinion. Thumbs up. Just don't view people like dishes on a menu, okay? They're all humans. Uh, Number six, no sleepovers at a house of the opposite gender. Don't do it. In the words of the great war uh, war hero, General Akbar, it's a trap. If you know that you are not called to celibacy, look for a spouse. I didn't say wait for a spouse. Look for a spouse. Ladies, take a cue from Ruth. She wanted to get married. She worked hard, had her job, and took advice of her mother-in-law, got her hair did, put on some perfume. She got a, got a husband, I'm just saying. <clears throat> Number eight, include the community of faith in dating. Don't go it alone. And life groups are huge in this. Don't date just you two. Invite them into the community of faith. Invite them in your life group. Nine, do something now for the kingdom that you can never do when you are married. Go teach for a summer in Thailand. Number 10, don't look for the hot one, but the holy one. Hotness fades, holiness grows. Number 11, live with a roommate or two. It keeps you flexible. If you want to get married, you'll need some flexibility. Number 12, how you relate to friends and roommates carries into your marriage. Number 13, men who want to be married volunteer in the children's ministry. I thought, well, I, thought that was, right? I thought that was for like women. Yes, young, single, attractive Christian women. <clears throat> Trust me. <clears throat> Number 14, 
It will never be easier to develop a regular pattern of giving to the church, to the poor, and to missions than right now. You might think you're broke as a joke. You wait. Give to church, the poor, and missions now. And then 15, a cute girl or a cute guy becomes less cute if they have a lot of debt. So be wise with your money. All right, five suggestions for married people. Number one, never, ever, ever, ever assume a lifelong single is weird, can't get a spouse, deviant, or gay. That is against the teaching of the Bible. Number two, have a marriage that is open to people who are not married. Invite them to dinner. It will encourage them. It will encourage them and say, maybe I do want to be married and have kids. Or it'll encourage them to say, no, thank you. Number three, since single people are whole people, they don't need to be fixed, just included. Number four, don't assume single people don't want to spend time with you and your family. They really do. And they're not busy. I always hear that. They're too busy. I'm like, what are you, who are you talking about? Number five, single married people, you hold the key to the culture of the church. Would you commit to fostering an environment where singles are included, are valued, and employed in the work of the kingdom, no matter their age? Well, I, I uh, appreciate you guys uh, listening and, and uh, being attentive. This is our final uh, week of our Ready to Eat for Everyone series, and Nate's got a couple words to kind of close out um, our, our uh, series.